Thank you for joining Cyber Center of Excellence for Cyber Insiders. This 10-part series features a star-studded lineup of San Diego business leaders from various industries who will share their biggest challenges and lessons learned when facing cybersecurity threats. If the pandemic taught us anything, no sector is spared from these costly breaches. New challenges increased by remote working and the global shortage of qualified cybersecurity professionals presents critical security issues for companies large and small. We'll hear insights and lessons learned from thought leaders in some of the region's key sectors, starting with defense, maritime, life sciences, education, and more that will help all companies better prepare for the systemic risk. Kevin Zanino here, your host. Really great to be back. And we are going to tackle another vertical industry where cybersecurity has all sorts of challenges and lessons learned, that being the education industry. Um, and to that end, we're really excited to bring two great guests to the to the show today. Um, excited to bring Jerry Sheehan, who's VP and Chief Information Officer at San Diego State University, as well as Chris Simpson, who's director with the National University Center for Cybersecurity. Um, Jerry, thanks for being on Cyber Insiders. Would love to have you just open the floor and give a little bit of uh, background to our listeners out there. Uh, thanks, Kevin, for that warm welcome. Really appreciate it. Chris, good to have you here in this virtual space as uh, we talk about cybersecurity lessons learned. I'm Jerry Sheehan, as Kevin mentioned, the Chief Information Officer and Vice President for Information Technology at San Diego State University. Been in higher education for about 25 years, uh, various research intensive universities uh, in the past, including stints as the CIO at Montana State University. So looking forward to sharing some of our lessons learned uh, with the uh, podcast community. Appreciate that and happy again to have you on the program. And and Chris, welcome aboard as well. We'd love to have you uh, give our listeners some of your background. Yeah, great, thanks. Uh, Nice to meet uh, both of you and thanks for having me on the uh, podcast. So uh, I'm the director of the National University Center for Cybersecurity. We're a a a national security agency, Center of Academic Excellence here in uh, San Diego. Uh, I've been in uh, academia about 11 years now at National University, uh, building up uh, various cybersecurity programs. Uh, Prior to my time at National University, I did some uh, consulting work, uh, and I am also a retired uh, Naval officer, spent 27 years in the Navy, in the last part of my career, I spent time working information assurance, command control, and communications, and uh, uh, various technical uh, billets. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna jump right in. I know um, this has been really interesting to interview a lot of leaders in some of these verticals, and I think the education industry it doesn't necessarily scream, um, you know, sort of cybersecurity issues, et cetera. But clearly, there are plenty to work from um, and to deal with. And so, Chris, I want to present to you and jump right in here. There was some some interesting research that showed that really a whopping 75% increase in cyber attacks have happened since the pandemics really pushed us all to digital and remote um, facing the education industry. And, and just this new school year, we've already seen now a ransomware attack take down the Los Angeles school district, which is one of the largest in the country. Um, And so, Chris, I want to ask you really, what do you see as some of the key threats that impact the education space, really, that all organizations need to have on the radar? Yeah, that's a great point you made about ransomware. And I think that's probably one of the biggest areas for the education space 
um, because as you as you mentioned in your in your opening there, uh, a lot of people don't think of education or universities as a business. But in a sense, not only are they teaching people, but on the back end, they have to recruit, pay salaries, uh, process people into in, in, into the university. Uh, last year, there was a, a college, Lincoln College, that suffered a ransomware attack, and this 157-year-old university uh, didn't survive. They had to go out of business because of all their uh, their recruitment systems and admissions uh, services were taken down. And they had even survived the Great Depression, and they couldn't survive that ransomware attack. So I, th I think that's probably the biggest uh, threat facing uh, uh, organizations in the education space. You feel still pretty uh, ransomware kind of stand out as some of the kind of the biggest issue, um, you know, when it comes to, to threats as a whole? Yeah, I, I, I think it is. And, you know, from the education space, there's different entry rates for the ransomware that I think that makes it even more challenging uh, for the education space. Jerry can probably uh, answer that one a little better since he's more on the management side of, of managing these large IT infrastructures for, uh, for a large university. Yeah, Chris, I certainly uh, would amplify what you're saying. I think there are two really important things to understand. Um, you know, first, and I think Lincoln College is a great example, uh, tragic, uh, given the community that they served historically, uh, black students in uh, Chicago underserved uh, community. But essentially, third party actors, malicious actors understand where our pain points are. The reason that they went at uh, Lincoln College at that time was they knew that it was their recruitment cycle. And having been involved with a variety of different phishing and ransomware uh, attacks of university assets over the course of the last decade, it's amazing how well threat actors know what we do because we're pretty public and just think in universities we share when students register we share when we post grades we share when we break in an academic calendar the very nature of our transparency creates pressure points that outside actors use against us i think the second thing once you understand those pain points is just in real time when you're responding to these incidents as they happen the very interconnected nature of our networks means that these threats become very a symmetrical uh, very quickly and i'm thinking in prior institutions about a threat that we had that was ransomware where one day we thought we had it controlled and contained and what we knew the next day was someone had come back in uh, they had turned back on their machine and what we thought that we had stopped moved into a network share and started to uh, deal with uh, encrypting thousands of drives so the interconnected nature means on and off uh, create different threat protocols ransomware is certainly the most severe thing uh, that we all face right now because it's not something that we can technologically fix we can mitigate risk but once something's encrypted we can't do anything to deal with the encrypted data yeah appreciate that and, and great points jerry and i want to learn a little bit more too about what sdsu has been doing knowing that you know i think the pandemic really accelerated this digital transformation remote work online learning etc but with that there's all sorts now of of risk whether it's you know people leveraging their own networks um, you know, not having proper protocols, et cetera. What has SDSU learned when it comes to, you know, remote connectivity and, and tech advances when you're dealing with a lot of these cyber threats that might have, have popped up, if you will, over the last couple of years? 
Uh, yeah, Kevin, let me share with you, I think the most important lesson that we learned from COVID, it's applicable in this space. And then let me talk about some of the tools that I think have come into play because of that. Uh, the thing that we learned the most, and it was probably more a dumb moment than an aha moment, but sometimes you need to have those created by circumstances. We quickly learned in particular, as we were looking at pivoting to online education, that we had provided a fair number of tools for people, but we had assumed that they were going to figure out how to use them and get given that many of them are digital natives, that they would just use those tools and be successful. What we saw in particular with our faculty is they had awareness of tools, but they weren't comfortable using those tools because we hadn't taken the time to train them. So as we pivoted, we spent a awful lot of time making sure that we engaged with faculty to teach them how to use those tools. We tend not to do that with security tools. Um, and we don't do that with security tools because many of them operate in the background. And so sort of the old IT way of thinking is, don't bother the user, they don't really need to know about that. And to some extent, uh, you can have interesting conversations when the users do know what systems are capable of. But I think the thing that COVID taught us more than anything else is to leverage our investment, we need to engage our people. We engage our people in training. And security and the infrastructure that we have around it is an important area where people need to be aware of the services and the tools, how they work and what they can do. When they don't know those things, they end up doing the wrong thing. And I think what we have learned probably if you look globally at some of the issues that have come as we've moved into sort of hybrid modalities for work, it is almost always that most of our employees want to do the right thing, but if they're not provided with services that allow them to do the right things easily, they're gonna find solutions and the solutions are gonna cause vulnerabilities. And I'll give you, um, you know, an uh, easy example of one of those where I think we've clarified at San Diego State University our policy, um, and it's something that certainly in hybrid work environments has become more important, dealing with data protection. And this really has to do with the use of cloud storage versus personal device storage. Certainly uh, everybody who has a laptop has files on their laptop and on their desktop. Uh, that just is the reality. But we need to make sure that folks understand that the reason that we want to use cloud services is not simply so you can go to any device and get to what you need. It's also so we can make sure that it is backed up. If there's a ransomware attack against San Diego State University, your files are in Google Drive, we can get those back. If you're not in Google Drive, we cannot get those back. We don't uh, back up individual machines, but too costly, too much user input. So I think clarifying where there are services to allow people to do the right thing, most important thing in reducing your risk profile. I think the second thing that we've learned is that we need to be more expansive in understanding our risk profile. It, old way of thinking about it, comfortable way of thinking about it was, oh, it's just the device in my office. But we know that that wasn't true when we thought it was true 18 months ago. It's not true today. The real threat is everything else that you use to get your work done. Almost all of us carry mobile phone devices. Those mobile phone devices are vectors, both for phishing attacks, even for uh, ransomware. We know that when we go home, many of us log on to home devices. This is why having a service that allows you to keep something securely in a place is the right thing to do. I think the other thing as an undersung technology that hangs out there in the background that we haven't done enough to educate our users aggressively about is the importance of virtual private networks and those clients. Uh, we uh, still have technologies that make that difficult, right? Every operating system that's out there, if you want a VPN, you have to go get a client, the client requires you to configure it. That is difficult for most lay users, not built into the OS because OSs were never built to be secure, they were built to be functional. Increasingly though, we need for users to to understand that when they're doing their work to best protect that work, it's better 
better if we know who they are, we handshake with them, and we deal with data in encrypted ways. Uh, so Kevin, those are just some examples, I think, of things that we've learned. Really, it is that we need to do a better job teaching, explaining, and having services, because it is services that mitigate risk. When we don't have the conversation because someone thinks they're on their own, we have lots of clever people. Clever gets complexity, complexity gets vulnerability. Absolutely. And I think that's that's something that's been a prevailing trend in, um, you know, across all vertical industries as well and isn't unique to the education space, sort of, you know, when everyone kind of had to flip that light switch to go um, virtual um, and remote, a lot of the training behind the how to, um, you know, playing catch up on it as well. And I, I think you make a lot of great points. The VPN um point is a good one i also feel that you know we've been seeing iot and a lot of these connected devices you know whether it's you know home home office or you know even home you know laundry and refrigerators just the volume of devices that people are connected to has exponentially gone up as well um to that so i want to i want to though pivot away from uh, and appreciate that too. I want to pivot into what's really been a, an issue um, and a unique issue, I think, to the cybersecurity space as well with a lot of the, you know, economic and job growth we've seen. The, the cybersecurity industry still has a, a massive global shortage of cybersecurity professionals. Um, there are over 77,000 job openings here in California um, to the cybersecurity space. And so, you know, Chris, when it comes to, to national um, university and kind of what the, the Center for Cybersecurity is doing, what, do you, what have you seen in terms of how to really attract people um, into this space to help, whether it's to retain or even to upskill cyber talent? What suggestions would you have when it comes to maybe, you know, companies or resource stretched small businesses to start to attract this type of talent? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. And, you know, we talked a lot of businesses and they're facing uh, staffing challenges and we've seen tremendous growth in both our bachelor's and our, our master's cybersecurity programs. One of the big things I would recommend to uh, uh, local or to companies is to work, uh, connect with our local universities. There's a lot of good talent there. Those students want to learn. They want to get into the field and internships and different projects are a great way for those companies to maybe get some some low cost or free work and then to assess potential workers for their for their organization. So at National University in both our bachelor's and our master's program, we have a three month capstone project. And what we do is we encourage students to go out and help a small business and do some type of cybersecurity assessment, develop policy, um, or uh, some other type of cybersecurity project for a company they know about, or in many cases, our students do works for a company that they already work for, or the company that they that, that, that they that they work at. So that's a great way to to a get some free you know free work and to assess potential talent. And here in San Diego, you know the 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 Cyber Center of Excellence, they work with uh, different communities to help the small businesses uh, get their security up to speed and. Um, uh, students can also help with those those projects. And kind of on a side note, uh, there are uh, high school and, and middle school and community college colleges that have cyber teams, and they typically need funding and resources. So small businesses can help grow that talent pool if they support those uh, uh, so support those uh, projects. So here in Southern California, we have the SoCal Cyber Cup. 
that it originally started as a San Diego's Mayor's Cup, and that's a high school, middle school, and community college cyber competition. And then mm -hmm. finally, there's uh, workforce partnerships here in San Diego, uh, specifically uh, Cyber Hire. That offers an opportunity for uh, uh, um, basically what they do is they help students find jobs. They have resources to help pay for interns, and and they help students get certification. So a lot of things. Uh, that small businesses can do if they take advantage of maybe some of the local uh, resources in their area. Love the the cyber cup and yeah, I completely agree. I think even at a high school level, there are there are opportunities to to bring kids along um, and, and the internship programs as well. And um, I would add too that the the CCUE um, has a great job board as well. Um, you know, for folks whether it's internship programs or full time roles as well. And so um, when we get to, to SDSU too, Jerry, um, you know, I want to talk about really the the new campus that's that's happening in, in Mission Valley. I actually did attend the uh, the Aztecs football game in week one, beautiful new new stadium on that Mission Valley campus with Snapdragon Stadium. And week two um, had a better outcome, uh, but I'm happy that you were there for week one. Was there? It was toasty, but you know, big Aztec fan and excited about really about all that development on the Mission Valley campus, starting with the the stadium too. So, um, but want to kind of get ahead of this with all that expansion, you know. Also comes opportunities for for bad actors to get involved potentially too. So, um, what are we what are we thinking in terms of how San Diego State's kind of getting ahead of things with? Um, new educational experiences and some of the new research and tech that will likely be out there and and how can local businesses get involved? Uh, sure, uh, great question and uh, appreciate it, Kevin. I think, you know, right now it's really important to uh, jump back about 20 years ago in San Diego history and think about the criticality of how new capital investments can change economic opportunity. And I'm thinking in particular about the interrelationship of Petco to the revitalization of the Gaslamp District and all of downtown. Uh, when you look at Mission Valley, we have a smaller stadium than Petco, but we have San Diego State University as the prime real estate developer for all of that area. And our goal really is to find an interconnectedness of work-life balance. So you'll have residential housing, you'll have a hotel in the area. You'll also importantly have an innovation corridor with public and private sector partners who are gonna be working with the university to develop new approaches to the digital economy in the area. And that ranges from everything. We also have a new partnership that we uh, announced with uh, folks in Chula Vista, a digital and film theater down there. So you've got digital entertainment, interest in next generation healthcare, including some of the great life sciences companies uh, that we have in San Diego. And then the underlying area, the intersectionality of military cybersecurity, some of the great research that's done in San Diego as an area in which you've got an intersecting overlap of uh, those interests. The real opportunity in Mission Valley is to think, as uh, my colleague mentioned, I, you know, academic knowledge is great, but if you never get to apply it, you don't really have the real world credentials to show that you understand how to do things. And when we talk to our partners in the private sector, what we hear is that all of us, National, USD, UCSD, San Diego State University, we're all great at creating academic knowledge about how to use tools. What we're not yet great at doing is making sure that those tools have been used collaboratively to actually solve challenges. So when you think about Mission Valley, if you think about it as a living laboratory, it's essentially a small city 
inside of San Diego where we can prototype the next generation of infrastructure, take the same sort of things that we talked about, those cyber team ideas, and not just fuse them into being on a campus and working on small projects, but bringing them into real world environments in which people are protecting intellectual property, in which folks are coming in and attacking uh, from the outside in persistent ways. And we have certainly some of the best vendor partners right now, both in Cox and Cisco and Aruba, uh, AT&T, Verizon, all inside the stadium as uh, foundational partners and allowing us to have that infrastructure. I think the other thing that you can think of uh, as what we believe will be a academic uh, blessing and allow us to propel the next generation of research at this intersection of application and security is you're going to have an area in San Diego that has probably more bandwidth than any other blocks in San Diego that aren't a university block. We're talking about hundreds of gigabits worth of traffic that are going to go into a relatively small radius, about 150 acres, that'll be this mixed use. That creates all sorts of interesting opportunities to do malicious things, but it also allows us to work with partners at scale, taking technologies that have been developed and moving them into practice with our students. When you think about the opportunities for businesses, it really is, if you're thinking about a next generation disruption, if you wanna do something that's going to protect a home uh, in a residential setting in a way that hasn't been done before, Mission Valley is open for business, looking for partners who wanna prove concepts that we can take to scale. We think there are great opportunities that will drive local economic development and also derivative external research. I uh, appreciate that and just super excited to see that transformation of, of Mission Valley. Um, you know, what are we thinking of a, a timeline? How far off are we for to, to seeing that area fully built, built out, Jerry? Are we talking five plus years away or are we, um, what is that timeline? Yeah, you'll see a, a gradual development of uh, Mission Valley. You'll see residential housing going in uh, within the next 24 months. You'll see the first buildings going into the innovation corridor within the next 24 to 36 months, hotels uh, coming in, intervening. So this is a, as we find partnerships and opportunities, uh, deploying those in ways that uh, allow us to move forward will be a multi-year build out given just the complexity of the area that we're covering. I think the other thing that's interesting as you think about those weird vectors potentially of cybersecurity is there is ton of public space in Mission Valley. There are large parks, there are bridges, everything from emergency first response to uh, how you deal with encrypted communications among people who want to use digital resources. Uh, we have open spaces to experiment with those along with not forgetting the fact that San Diego is a drone corridor. And here at San Diego State University, we've already partnered to have drone delivery uh, to doors uh, with some of the leading uh, folks thinking about next generation automation. All of that also, woefully right for cybersecurity chaos. Absolutely. So plenty of plenty of opportunity and challenges to come in, but I appreciate that um, insight. And again, you know, we're it, it, it all of it just sounds so exciting as well for the region. So I know we're I know we're kind of getting towards uh, towards of that that time on our show. And so, Chris, I want to I want to give you kind of the opportunity to to leave us with a, a parting shot as well in terms of what you feel like would be um, kind of a, a, a good insight, if you will, in terms of what you've learned from serving in the cybersecurity trenches that might help our audience really navigate some of these cyber threats, regardless of what sector they're in, you know, call it a, a top two or three, if you will. 
Yeah, if, if I might, I might take a little bit of a tangent on that. One thing I've learned in my time in cybersecurity, it's a great field to get into. And like you mentioned when we started out, it impacts so many sectors. So I would encourage anybody that has a technical aptitude uh, that are interested in, in, in the field of cybersecurity uh, to think about if, if they uh, want a career change, it's a great career to get into. And there's plenty of opportunities, especially here in San Diego with all the innovation going on that Jerry mentioned, the defense sector, the education sector and things like that. And we've got great universities here like National and San Diego State. So it's a great time to uh, get into the field of cybersecurity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and Jerry, any, any final thoughts as well in terms of um, kind of what, what folks can do in terms of navigating cyber threats as well? Yeah, and actually I'll uh, harken back to the Reagan administration for this one. Uh, I think uh, as many of us are aware, Mikhail Gorbachev, a uh, number of us uh, grew up watching the transformation that he was able to uh, cause in the time at the, the Soviet Union. But if you think about his conversation with Ronald Reagan and Ronald Reagan's quip after learning just enough Russian to be dangerous was trust but verify. We live in a world right now where the third party actors are maliciously talented enough to make anything look like it actually comes from anyone else. The tools both from deep fakes to phishing are so sophisticated. We've even seen folks begin to simulate the banners that say that it's safe to open email. So we are just ripe for being able to be manipulated. The way that you deal with that manipulation is to first never believe that what you see is actually from who it is. You have to have that forethought to make sure that you're looking at it. And what that also means, going back to our earlier conversations with CCOE, is that cybersecurity isn't everyone thing. Uh, this is no longer a, we have a person who makes us secure. Every one of us, inherently in what we do, makes ourselves insecure. So as we look at things, trusting and verifying, that's the best awareness I think that we can give to any audience. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. I mean, spoofing, you know, et cetera, off the charts as well. And it, it and it is everyone's business um, and has definitely morphed into that. So, um, well, gentlemen, I, I really appreciate the time, um, Jerry and Chris, for, for sharing your helpful insights and experience here with our listeners. This was a this was a really informative uh, episode and, and great to hear sort of what's been going on in the education space. Um, for our listeners out there, really stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to bring on some cyber leaders from the healthcare and financial services space to, to dig into further best practices of what they've learned as well. Um, until then, thanks for listening to Cyber Insiders. And please do check out the CCUE website at sdccue.org for further resources. Take care, everyone. Thank you again.